1: Welcome to Face Connecticut, an in-depth look at today's issues. Good morning and welcome to another edition of Face Connecticut on WTIC News Talk 1080, 96.5 TIC-FM and Light 100.5 WRCH. Aaron Kupek with you this Sunday morning and we are pleased to be joined by Andy Matthews. He is Executive Director of the Connecticut State Police Union, a retired State Police Sergeant, also Executive Director of the National Troopers Coalition, and a lawyer. Good morning to you, sir. Morning, sir. We invited you in to talk about the police accountability legislation passed this past week by the state Senate, previously approved by the state house of representatives and now poised to become law. We had the ACLU of Connecticut on last weekend, so they were in favor of the measure. And now we wanted to talk to you. You raised some serious concerns about the the legislation Let's start with how the rank and file is feeling now that this is poised to become law.
0: We appreciate your time and uh, getting the message out to the public. On behalf of our troopers, we represent uh, 862 troopers, sergeants and master sergeants in the state police. And um, unfortunately, the way they feel right now uh, is they feel betrayed. They feel abandoned and they feel um, uncertain. They feel instability. Um, They're not really clear as to what effects completely the bill will have on them. And I think that's because uh, there's a lot of legal scholars out there that are. um, it's gonna take some time to really analyze um, most of the bill in, in respect to qualified immunity or deadly force standards and how that's gonna affect them in their daily lives in the field.
1: One of the interesting things about this process was whether or not you are for or against this legislation, it is quite interesting how quickly it moved. You don't typically see that at the state capitol. Why do you think that is?
0: Well, I think it's a national trend. It's easy to attack law enforcement these days um, uh, based on what's happened in other states. Um, We actually said repeatedly we don't condone what happened in Minneapolis. It was illegal and unacceptable and shocking. And um, the public uh, deserves better than that type of treatment. But what, what we've seen from our Democratic friends here in Connecticut is they've, you know, in politics, it always seems like politicians are always in a rush to be the first. And and to um, we think that in Connecticut, they kind of overreached. And um, unfortunately, the previous relationship that we've always had with our legislative friends is... Um, you know, we we have an opportunity to sit down and thoroughly go through things and analyze and get input from all stakeholders and try to come up with the best type of legislation. Uh, They had at one point, I'm sure many people had good intentions, but we think that at one point we were just ignored.
1: Now, this is a sweeping piece of legislation. It has more than 40 sections. What do you find most troubling about it?
0: We have three real major issues with it. The constitutional issue with uh, section nine which is our current collective bargaining agreement which the legislature approved uh that since 2004 it was created in 2004 was approved by the legislature itself six times and they struck it in this bill from our current collective bargaining agreement which under the united states constitution contracts clause under article 1 section 10 is is a clear violation of their they're, base, they're impairing their obligations of what's in the contract, and for our to, to be in a non-right-to-work state and a collective bargaining state, um, that's concerning to us. But it also should be concerning to all other unions because if the legislature can just create law to strip current contract language, there's really no purpose um, to have a contract, uh, and we, we're, we're shocked by that. I mean, we totally understand. If they came to us and said, look, we'd like to reopen, this is a sensitive issue. It's regarding the FOIA uh, on sustained FOIA freedom information request on sustained investigations and the troopers' right to object if they feel there's a a, a, a violation of their privacy, uh, a reasonable expectation of, of, of privacy interests. And the employer's obligated to not release the information until FOIA has determined whether it's a legitimate interest in their privacy or violation of their personal privacy. And that has been stripped from us once the governor signs it into law, and I think it would take effect October 1st. I think on behalf of all police officers in Connecticut, the other two large ones is Section 29 and Section 41. Section 29 is the deadly force standards. And as you know, under 53A22C uh, in Connecticut general statute and police officers are justified in using deadly physical force when he or she believes in their own view that it's necessary to prevent deadly force against themselves or a third person. So that be a police officer at a scene under the circumstances immediately that they're facing uh, has to make a split second decision on whether to use deadly force. And what they have done under this bill has changed it to an objectively reasonable standard. And the confusion right now and the uncertainty is, one, we don't know who's making that decision. And obviously, whoever's making that decision is not somebody that was in imminent risk of losing their own life or a third person that was with us at the time. And um, it, it also says in the bill that the individual officer has to exhaust uh, the reason, all other reasonable alternatives before using deadly force. That's pretty vague. We don't really understand what that means. And I think the one thing Uh, They did do is I think that was to take effect January 1st. And they pushed that out to April, uh, July, I believe of 2021 to give time for um, about 8000 police officers in Connecticut to be trained because you've already trained everyone forever right in history on a certain standard. Now you expect that you pass a law and expect them to live by another standard. Uh, and, and, and that concerns a lot of people. And that one we've been really pushing on because if you're a police officer and you understand what happens in the field is you have to make split-second decisions. And if you hesitate, someone else or yourself can lose your life. And that's really important. Um, on qualified immunity, the, the real message, and I've said this um, repeatedly, it, legal scholars will debate this for many years to come, right? But the main message of this whole bill is that um, it's, it's it's the effect psychologically that it has on police officers in the field. You, you need, to, in order to be a police officer, you need to know that you have confidence that your employer and the state and the legislators and the governor is gonna support you when you are sent out there and required. You're given the equipment necessary to protect people's lives and you're sent out there. You need to know that if you use that equipment to protect lives and property that you're going to be supported and under the qualified immunity what it what it really did is it took everything out of federal court right because under typically if on a police brutality or excessive force claim you uh, lawyers would file uh claims in in federal court and under 1983 claim and what connecticut did was they moved it to Connecticut superior courts. And they and basically, in our opinion, we think that the Connecticut uh, Trial Lawyers Association had a lot of influence on this because it's going to make them a lot more money. So now they can stay in Connecticut. And the Connecticut standard now is that it's going to go before a Connecticut jury to decide whether your actions were uh, willful or wanton uh, acts, uh, malicious acts. Uh, in violation of someone's constitutional rights, and then the police officer can now be liable um, for uh, not just the the, the plaintiff's uh, damages and attorneys' fees, but the, the employers as well. So when you when you when you do that to a police officer, regardless of what the legal effects are ultimately going to be, there's going to be a lot of debate about that in, in the coming weeks, months, and years. But it, it is going to be true when you see the increase. And, and malicious false complaints, uh, uh, lawsuits on police brutality in Connecticut, then the legislature will see what we were trying to tell them. To, to, to even be named in a complaint, an internal affairs complaint, to, to be now sued, to be subjected to uh, post uh, standards as, as troopers, we've never been post certified. So now we have the grievance process, we have internal affairs we have uh, the inspector general, the state's attorney post, uh, and if you are stripped of your licenses revoked, you, you have to go to superior court. So what they did is they created all different types of venues. They essentially didn't allow us to bargain over it. These are mandatory subjects of collective bargaining, in our opinion, and that's the problem. When you create legislation, the employer then just points to, well, it's, it's, we don't have to bargain over it because it was passed by statute. We also have uh, one last point I'd say in the bill is they cre- create criminal penalties and sanctions for inter for failing to intervene. Right. So, again, it's all subjectivity. And and if you feel that something was not excessive force and you don't report it, then you could be charged with a felony. Uh, and that that's a problem. And then what you're going to have also is there's no whistleblower protection. They didn't even take the time to make sure that people were protected if they do come forward. So now the legislature requires people to come forward and report what they perceive to be excessive force of another officer they have to come and work, to work with every day. If it turns out it is an excessive force, the person has no protection, and that's a failure by our legislators. But they were in such a rush to do this, they didn't want to hear these things and they didn't want to address them. And I think at the end of the day, we're, we're, we're carefully analyzing, uh, all of our legal options. And, um, we believe that we're going to end up in federal court.
1: What would you say is, is most ripe in the bill for a constitutional challenge?
0: Uh, I think the first three I mentioned, um, obviously the, 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 uh, contract clause impairing the obligation of a current contract. That's real easy. Deadly force standards is there. I think there are some, real question on constitutionality on that as well. I'm sure many other lawyers will have other positions on that, but those are the ones that come first to mind.
1: You are listening to Face Connecticut. We are talking to Andy Matthews. He is executive director of the Connecticut State State Police Union, a retired state police sergeant and executive director of the National Troopers Coalition, also a lawyer. How is this, Andy, going to change how the average police officer in Connecticut does their job when they go out on the beat?
0: Well, I think it already has, right? I think it's it's drastically reduced the productivity or the motivation of a of a police officer. I think statistics will show that. I think people are hesitant. I've heard from a lot of our troopers in the field; they're reconsidering other employment. Um, they're considering retirement. We've had uh, we started with 120 recruits in the academy about three or four months ago, and we're down to 88. One was an Ohio trooper that left Ohio to come with us. And they just recently, within the last week, left and went back to Ohio to their employer. I think it's going to affect them. When, when I became a trooper, all I wanted to do is protect the public. And I would come in at my own time early on my shift on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday nights, I distinctly remember. And I would get a drunk driver off the road before my shift even started because I wanted to go out and get another one. And sometimes I got lucky and even got three in one night because you would hunt for drunks that are, that are dangerous and and could kill the members of the public. So you took great pride in that. And you, you know, being, being aggressive on, on that uh, criminals and, and going out and seeking people that are dangerous in society, weapons, drugs, drunk drivers, whatever it is, you're motivated as a new officer. And that's because you believe that's your calling and you go out there because, You need you feel that's that's what you're here to do. And you're really um, proactive. And unfortunately, with the current trend and the national trend of attacking law enforcement, um, just consider that like you you go to work every day and every person you stop. I mean, there's plenty of videos that come in here to the union hall illustrating the difficulty of being a police officer anymore. Our Troopers will go and confront people uh, that are criminals and and try to take them into custody. And two troopers are trying to recently trying to take a, a gentleman into custody that assaulted his sister. Uh, and his sister begins videotaping, yelling, screaming, swearing at our troopers, uh, saying that you're choking him, he can't breathe when they're not, and that the, the uh, individual uh, kicks the trooper in the face, breaks his nose. I mean, every day people are being uh, disrespectful and hostile towards law enforcement, and I blame the legislators, and honestly, the ACLU and the chiefs of police, you know, to, 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 to say that it's the collective bargain, it's the unions and the collective bargaining agreements that are the problem. That was the first message. We're the, we're the obstructionists when we're not the ones that create policy here at the unions, right? We're here, we have a legal obligation to protect and defend our members and enforce a contract. That's what we do. They never talk about the people that we uh, assist in resignations because they don't deserve to wear our badge or uniform because they tarnish it. Um, I think just the, the message and all these examples and extremes uh, has set the tone uh, for the public to be outraged by good men and women that dedicate their their life and risk their life for an employer who, and, and, and a lot of our, our political uh, friends and, you know, most chiefs, and, and our commissioner and other high-ranking officials in our agency are, are appointed, political appointees. And you it, when you're in those positions, you can't speak up on behalf of your people. And that's the problem. So that affects morale as well. So when you can't speak up for your people because you're too worried about losing your own job, that has a, a tremendous effect on your, your your troops in the field as well. And, and, I, and I think that uh, the day has come where uh, it, unfortunately this bill, we believe, will result in the death or serious physical injury of a police officer uh, in the near future. And that's sad because we don't need to have, it's, you don't have to be on one side or the other. Everybody should have come together. There should have been respectful dialogue um, and we shouldn't have been just alienated as, as police unions and, and characterized as we're the bad people and the police officers in the field deserve the respect and support that they expected when they came on the job.
1: Andy, in your view, is there anything good in this legislation?
0: Yeah, we've said it um, repeatedly that we feel um, issues like training to be, you know, anything that can improve the image of our agency or make us better as law enforcement, we're all for it. We've said that repeatedly. We've proven that in the past. So things like body cameras, dashboard cameras, training—those are essential to accountability and making sure both, not just the police officers, but the public, um, act in a respectful way and, and and give transparency. So those are some of the points that come to mind. You've
1: mentioned that morale. In the ranks of the state police is suffering. And I've read that there is an ongoing no confidence vote. What is the status of that?
0: Yeah, so we don't we don't discuss uh, we, we are doing a vote of no confidence against certain members of our command staff. We don't talk about it publicly while it's going on. Um, but but it is because the union leadership uh, overwhelmingly voted for that. Uh, we have twenty nine board members and and it wasn't specific. I know some of the press is saying that it, it's suggesting that it's part of this uh, police misconduct bill. actually it was uh, it's it's been in process for quite some time because of the way what's happening is um, as as the morale is being impacted and the motivation and productivity of the proactive troopers has decreased, our command staff has thought that it's a great idea to do things such as uh, demand, uh, that troopers write tickets within a certain period of time and a certain number of tickets, which as you know, we, uh, it's, it's illegal in the state of Connecticut to have a quota. We've had our Lieutenant Colonel in our field ops office pulling troopers over, stopping uh, troopers on, on the side of the road where they're on a highway construction job, pulling them out of their car, doing inspections, mistreating, and just speaking poorly to our members, it's not just the, the, what's the current atmosphere, um, but it's it's, uh, been long, it's been a long-standing issue. We've tried to address it internally. Um, when the results come in, my guess is probably within the next two or three weeks, they're going out in the mail uh, Monday morning, and uh, our members will respond. From
1: the outsider's perspective, it almost seems as if it's a little old guard versus new guard at the state police.
0: Is that accurate? No, I don't. I don't think so. I think there's a lot of people that come on the job and have different views. And that's what we want. And we need that. Um, there are some old school thoughts, but that's not that's not a fair assessment of the positions we take on this bill. I, I don't know what you mean by what issue. What are you talking about when you say what are you referring to? Well, I, say, I, oh, I know for
1: regard. example, there was a recruitment video that went out. And the feedback among some people was, you know, this is all touchy feely, kind of uh, softer and and not really accentuating the true role of law enforcement is to protect the public.
0: Right. Um, Well, I think that, you know, there are that's an that's a fair assessment that there are different views on what individual officers believe um, based on their training and experience is required to. Defend and protect the public, um, and when you say touchy feely, touchy feely doesn't do it for a really bad criminal that wants to kill someone. So if that's what whoever you know the whatever you're referring to is, there there are different there are there are different police officers and different views in the field. Now your personal view politically or how the agency operates is is not relevant. You, you have to follow the policies of, that are created by the employer. So we, we always tell our people, regardless of your own political or personal views on how the policy is, or whether you agree with it or not, it's your duty to follow the policy and the law. So there is some truth that obviously old, when you say old guard, there are people that are on 20, 30 years still on the job. I think you'll see a lot fewer. You've seen a lot fewer people with more than 20 years on the job because they retire when they're first eligible, um, more often now than they ever have before. So yeah, there. there you know, and it is true that change is difficult for anybody. But I don't. I think extreme change that puts people at risk. It's not a fair assessment to say, "Oh, this is old school versus new school." I think we we've, we've proven uh, at the legislature and with our employer over time that we adapt and change uh, for the better. But when you put our people at risk, we will stand up and we will defend our people. We're the ones that bury our troopers, okay? And when we do, politicians always come to the funerals and say, please offer their condolences and and ask, is there anything we can do? And what we said with this bill pending is, yeah, one, listen to us and don't vote in favor of stuff that could put us at more risk. You know, the job of the legislature is to protect the public, but also to protect us and our, our police officers in Connecticut. And we think that this bill actually put people more at risk and you could disagree. We can respectfully disagree, whether you think I'm, you know, our position is correct or not, but we have a long tradition of being pretty accurate and very thoughtful and respectful to people. And, and people can disagree with our position, but you can say that now, but they're not going to learn that they made a mistake until we have a dead trooper or a dead police officer in Connecticut. And, um, one last point I would make is, and it's recent in the last, yesterday, Senator Murphy and others now, the, the Democratic view is we're going to pull police officers, school resource officers out of schools. Now, that's a policy decision the feds can make on their own with funding, right? But people forget 9-11, Sandy Hook, the Manchester shooting, the way we've responded, our, our members have responded and local police officers have responded his- heroically to these things and caused trauma to, to our members, ended careers, marriages, and caused great depression and men- mental anguish. People don't remember those things, right? Now you're talking about pulling school resource officers out of school and you're showing videos from the other side of the country where a police officer used excessive force, allegedly, and it appears by the video that they absolutely did. But then you you paint police officers in Connecticut with such the the same broad brush it's unfair it's 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 not the right message and what the legislators don't understand and the chiefs of police and the commissioner and our colonel that don't speak up publicly and and speak out is when you're silent that means you condone it you support it you agree with it and and our people deserve better than that so you know people can get upset with Me individually or our our union president, President John Castelline, or our union leadership, go ahead. You you have the right to disagree with us. But I'm telling you, we're right. And and it's our obligation to speak out for our membership. And thankfully, I'm not a sworn member anymore because the agency can't retaliate anymore. (laughs) So,
1: <laughs> And we're going to have to leave it there. Andy Matthews, he is executive director of the Connecticut State Police Union, executive director of the National Troopers Coalition and a retired state police sergeant. Thank you so much for joining us this morning.
0: Thank you, sir. Be safe.
1: Thanks for listening to Face Connecticut. I'm Aaron Kupek. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. Face Connecticut
0: is a production of the News and
1: Public Affairs Department of WTIC Radio.